Hey guys, due to entirely foreseen, totally avoidable circumstances, Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata is going to go on a two-week hiatus. We know this is a disappointment and that nothing can make up for it, that we alone send a shining beam of meaning into otherwise meaningless lives lived by rote. As an apology, we'll instead put out two episodes of an experimental thing we're doing called Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata colon Podcast Guys Talking to Erratic Errata. So get hype! In the interest of everyone finally working together, Podcast Guys would like to offer the following warning. Spoilers will be commonplace. Listen at your own risk. Good morning, faithful reader. Welcome, fortunate seeker. This is Podcast Guys Talking Wildbow. Podcast Guys Talking Wildbow is a whirlwind reread of Worm, where a historian and a literature scholar tackle the big questions about one of the superest novels of the age, such as Will we ever learn more about this mysterious Murden? Why does Leviathan try to drown the invincible Alexandria? And will Sion notice there's an Endbringer in town? Well, that doesn't matter. Armsmaster will save the day. Uh... (laughs) But you should know your chances going in. Given the statistics from our previous encounters with this beast, a good day still means that one in four of the people in this room will probably be dead before this day is done. You are doing a good thing, the greatest thing. This is why we are tolerated. Why society allows and accounts for the capes that walk the streets and fight in its towns. Because we are needed for situations like this. With your assistance, we can forestall the inevitable. Your efforts and, if you choose to make them, your sacrifices will be remembered. Legend, May 15th, 2011. And this is just the thing about Worm. You think you reach a point where it surely can't become any more, and then it gets worse, and it gets worse. And this is only Arc 8. This chapter, we get to see more, maybe we have to see more of the devastation that Leviathan's wreaking all over Brockton Bay. We get to know intimately the after-image water wave effect that Leviathan's using, we see both in sheer number and in individual cases, the human cost, the capes falling like ants before it. Not too much really happens in this chapter plot-wise. We 
gets the feel for the first time, I think, really what uh, an Endbringer brings. We learn the general strategy being used. We see the different tiers of hero in the face, hero and villain, different tiers of capes in the face of such a monster. We see Taylor struggling to help even though she's effectively unpowered in this circumstance. What good are bugs against the ocean itself? And at the end of it is really the first movement of the plot. And that's not a failing of it by any means. This is an important window we get. But at the end of it, Tattletail is apparently counted among losses, whatever that means. And then Leviathan is clock-blocked. They've got a chance now. What's going to happen next chapter? Probably more devastation and horror. I read this a few times. Yeah, it's, uh, it is interesting because I'm thinking back to the first time I read Worm and we talked about, you know, this is just sort of how it is. But up until now, the Endbringers are a term you hear a couple of times here and there. But you kind of just get the idea that they're very powerful capes they're mentioned in the same breath as a few other powerful capes like you know scion or eidolon and they're just in that category of people question mark and it's not till much later on that you really see what it means and so leviathan showing up this is the first time we see what they are and what they can do and how scary they are and frankly of the three that we have now this is the least scary of the three and you know, it's not the hero killer or the one that causes devastation in a way that can't even be truly tracked. It's the one that just shows up and makes a city go underwater. Terrifying, but understandable and not so absolutely unapproachable in power like Behemoth. Newfoundland would like to have a word with you. Right, it makes a city go underwater. The the city of Newfoundland? It's a big city. <laughs> one minute, I need to check the population. Okay. Newfoundland and Labrador have the population of a small city. Uh, 95% of the population is on Newfoundland, and that's 95% of 528,000. Right. So a city. But a very large city. Not a big city, but a large one. Oh, sure. Well, I guess that's all the time we have for this episode, right? We don't have to deal with any of the horrors. Uh, tune in next time to... Uh, well... I guess we can't simply wish for our woes to be gone because instantly we are assaulted by, affronted by the abomination of Leviathan. Every step, every movement, he fills the space he left with water. He created something like three times his body size in the amount with every step because of the space he moves through. It has the same momentum he has and Water is as hard as steel at any velocity. And in the first two paragraphs, he lunges and claws his way through a line of capes. Sham down, CD5. Acoustic deceased, CD5. Harsh mistress down, CD5. Resolute deceased, CD5. Woe begone down, CD5. And that means woe be here. Am I right, fam? Very good. Yeah, his his afterimage, like, that is, I mean, we've talked, about this at length but it's definitely worm is phenomenal in its powers and how unique they are even ones that seem pretty standard 
always have some twist to them. There's always something that makes them very unique. And that goes even for these things that are just, you know, the powerful thing that controls the ocean. That after image is such a cool effect and also horrifying. Even just this powerful thing that controls the ocean has right. a cool effect. Yeah, no, I mean, come on. Macro hydrokinesis is a pretty simple power. It doesn't seem like there's that much interest. Oh, he makes big waves and also has Except this after moon. image. Yeah. Hey, he's sure. I mean, he probably weighs more than the moon. It makes sense that he would be able to affect the ocean. Or maybe not weighs more, has more mass than the moon total, based on how it seems to work. That's also something to appreciate about these powers, too. I don't know about you, but to me, some of them kind of fade into the background when they're not present. I forget how horrifying Leviathan is. I remember it's a big bad fight, so many people die, blah, blah, blah. But reading it, if we do the worm villain bracket, or sorry, the worm monster bracket, I would rank Leviathan higher than we did. However, Taylor would not seem to rank as high, except, you know, it's Capri we'd be dealing with on that one. <laughs> but she recognizes her weakness. She knows she she's just a person. She's barely a person here. Wading through water, that cuts away like 70% of a person's ability to person. And the bravery she shows. We know Taylor is a flawed protagonist. We've roasted her. But... She can do nothing. She is nothing. She's witnessing horror at a scale she has not seen, even in a town occupied by neo-Nazis. And really, the neo-Nazis are the worst. Nazis can go die in a fire. But, or in a water. Not, well, we'll see some of that. Uh, right. More next chapter, if I recall. Yeah. Uh, but with nothing on her side, she speaks into her armband and says, direct me to the wounded I can help. I do not have mobility powers. I am not very strong. I do have basic first aid training. I, for all we mock her, because of this moment, and this moment alone, Taylor will always be someone special in the roster of protagonists, I think. Yeah, I mean, she donned the, the costume in the first place to help people, and despite some interesting decisions along the way, that's what she's all about. That's legitimately what she's here to do. Even with what seems on the surface to be a lame and creepy power. <laughs> right. And here, it the power isn't what matters. It's She's a person who's brave and is willing to help other people out. And it's, it, you know, that this is what makes her a hero. It In Worm, your power is the extent of your special abilities. There's not like everybody who's got a superpower is slightly tougher or stronger or faster or anything like that, like you see in a, a number of other superhero works. In Worm, you, if your power is the ability to control bugs, then outside of controlling bugs, you are just a squishy 15-year-old who can get severely hurt by, you know, a dog biting you or something. And yet she's standing here pretty close to Leviathan and doing what she can. You don't have to worry too much about Leviathan. Okay, that was poorly phrased. <laughs> you don't have to worry about everything with Leviathan, because at the end of the day, he's got the afterimage, the absurd healing factor, and macro hydrokinesis, which is horrifying. But, you know, something of a blunt instrument. And that is, coming into this reread, about where I had pegged him, you know, super strong, super fast, all these things. But I always forget this this line legend is firing a salvo of lasers at leviathan and to defend himself 
Leviathan raises one of his hands, and a geyser of water rose to block more incoming lasers. I don't normally think of Leviathan as having fine control over water, like the ability to shoot up a geyser to block lasers. Ineffectively, I might add, because this is legend we're talking about. But still, it's a it's a scary level of fine control that I don't really think of when I think of of old Levi. Talking about fine control and talking about how ineffective it is. Yeah, the next line. Legend's lasers simply turned at angles to circle around Leviathan, strike the Endbringer from behind. They left Leviathan so hot that his flesh glowed a yellow-orange around the areas they struck him. I have a crush on Legend, as all sensible people do. Right, because you're an adult, I gotcha. And he's got amazing powers, especially since those same lasers that leave Leviathan glowing with heat are used to stun people during Slash's uh, mind-boggling chaos germ. Bone saws. Give, give credit where it's due. Not to be a Riley apologist. Oh boy. But if I'm giving credit where it's due, I still might need to give it to Jack Slash. She's responsible for the genius of it, but he's responsible for the horror. So really, we're going to give the credit to Jack's agent. Really? I think we can say Scion is responsible. <laughs> all right that that's fair spoilers we'll will be commonplace <laughs> yeah legend legend is interesting because we see other you know quote-unquote flying artillery capes like uh the the new wave trio and uh the uh i promise i'm not actually a nazi purity and legend has way more firepower than pretty much any of them and also way better control than any of them and he's just he's just a step above basically everybody and he's just such a good guy love him so much <laughs> we see uh uh taylor move to try to help a couple people and the armband continues to offer pings about people who are down or deceased we see fiercling deceased cd5 adamant down cd5 and as we go through this i just i'm enjoying seeing names that we'll see later so i'm just gonna call those out as they show up adamant is for those who don't recall or pre-call, if you will, uh, Adamant is one of the two capes, well, four technically, I guess, one of the four capes that Taylor best during the Arcadia High adventure, uh, one of the two people outside along with Seer. Hmm. I hadn't even noticed. Nifty. What Taylor notices is that Leviathan is too close to her for comfort as she is trying to help some boy with a metallic bird design it's really unclear who he is, I think. Uh, if you know, please write in. Uh, but she notices Leviathan is, quote, way too close to me for comfort. And this is Leviathan. The entire East Coast of the United States has Leviathan too close for comfort right now. <laughs> yeah, there's there's really no comfort comfortable distance from Leviathan unless you're deep in a large continent, I would say. Like, I wouldn't feel comfortable pretty much anywhere in Europe. But, you know, Central America, not Central America, that's also dangerous. Central United States, Central Asia, places like that. That's where I'd feel safe from Leviathan. Does Leviathan surface in an inland town because of underwater, underground water? I think I recall there was like an unusual manifestation at one point. Mm, I don't recall. That sounds familiar. He, I mean, he uses underground water in places like Brockton Bay specifically. They talk about this, where there's the cisterns underneath that he can use to basically sink the whole town. 
I've got the list of Endbringer attacks from Scarab 25-6. Um, where is Luderitz? Oh, okay, that's Namibia. Rio de Janeiro. Still coastal. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're just listing them as they come up, I see. Mm, maybe not. Uh, if you recall what I recall and you recall it better, please write in. Yeah, but the point of it is there's really no place you can run. He's, I mean, he's got pretty wide control in a in a way that maybe the other two don't particularly. You have to be, you know, Behemoth's got his kill aura and then a wider area of destruction, but there's a lot of just moving slightly out of his range to take a break. And with Leviathan, there's tidal waves hitting the entire city, <laughs> so there's not a lot of safety here. But we, uh, we move forward a little bit with uh with taylor helping this bird fella and she mentions that you know she maybe wouldn't have been strong enough not too long ago if not for her weeks of running it's easy to forget when we're doing a reread that at this point taylor is a pretty new cape like a very new cape whose main claim to effectiveness is she's pretty clever and she's got bugs and knows and has run a lot so she's in decent shape it, it's so easy to think of her as this hyper aware powerhouse the warlord of brockton bay and here she's saying i couldn't lift the guy because i or i could lift the guy because i ran a lot recently and that's that's her contribution it's just a these rereads are are so interesting for that to to see early versions of characters that we know so well by the end and she's not the only one working on the rescue, and the other rescuers draw into sharp relief exactly how uh, poorly suited for the entire thing Taylor is, because someone with the ability to fly landed not far from me to pick up the man with the gaping wound across his torso, flew off with him. Two seconds later, a teleporter blinked into existence near us, touching two fallen capes and disappeared with them, and a bathtub's worth of water. Taylor's got nothing on these guys, but also... I just really like that detail. A teleporter comes in, teleports off with some people in need, great, as well as a bathtub worth of water. Like, cool. That, that's just... Every power, even when you see it for a moment, seems to have just a little thing about it. A little extra consideration then. Well, it does the thing that I wanted to do when I described it. Right. It. This could have easily just been, he teleported out saving a couple capes. But no, yeah, there's there's a apparently some kind of atmospheric component you grab everything in an area it's it is neat i again the powers in worm phenomenal across the board taylor keeps trying to get him away and meanwhile chubster down cd5 good neighbor deceased cd5 hallow deceased cd5 and this breaks my heart because i really want to know more about chubster i love oh no them and i pray that they survive well, we should probably stop reading here, but we won't. Next week on. Oh. <laughs> uh, after this, there's uh, a, a second member of the triumvirate swoops in to, to fight Leviathan. We get Alexandria, uh, her first real screen time, and this is just more evidence, another example of how absurdly strong some capes are compared to the rest. You know, obviously, cauldron things will uh, give have a chance of higher power, higher strength, all of these things. But prior to this scene, the strongest cape we see in action is, or the and honestly, the only cape we see that's in this upper echelon of 
you know, cape power is is Lung, and we get a weird view of Lung because it's Taylor's first experience seeing uh, seeing the guys, so or seeing other capes. So you don't really know where he ranks. With the benefit of a complete shutdown, right? Uh, with with the benefit of seeing of having read everything, we know where Lung ranks. He's pretty strong, but here Alexandria is just. So far above anything else we've seen anybody do in the story up to this point, other than legend, basically, unsurprisingly. You talked about water moving at speed is as strong as steel, and here, Alexandria is faced with several tons of water moving forward at the speed of a locomotive, and her response is to swing her fists at it and shatter the water. It sound, the, the description here... There was a sound like a bomb going off, water spraying everywhere, followed by an earth-shaking crash as Alexandra used the crook of her arm to catch Leviathan around the neck and heaved him backwards onto the ground. We, we've we talked about this. Leviathan is massive. He's 30 feet tall. He's dense as all get out. He's got the amount of mass of a, think the word of God is something like a, a small solar system or something like that, backing him up. Obviously, not all of that is here, but he's a dense guy, and Alexandria swoops in, smashes through a wall of water, and then body slams him. She is absurd in a way you don't often see in this story. 30 feet tall, 50 foot tail, 9 tons. Just casually body slamming 18,000 pounds, no biggie. But she's not entirely invincible, as we learn later, and we it's really cool that we get a, a little glimpse into things here as... Leviathan, who later... Alexandria never dies. Right, of course. Alexandria never dies. Uh, Leviathan attempts to drown her, holding her underwater for a bit. And, and in on a first read, oh, interesting. He's trying to drown her. That's, you know, he's the water guy. But we know from later readings that Alexandria... Uh, from previous readings, I guess, that Alexandria is fights the Endbringers all the time. And they know each other. And they know how to fight each other. And their own weaknesses. And it's... Interesting to see the Endbringers also exploiting things like that. And we get to see that it does have effect. The line here is, Alexandria was gone. No, wait. She was rising from the water where Leviathan had been holding her down. Standing, staggering, falling again. Had he been drowning her? Taylor's taking notes. (laughs) Imagine if you told Taylor right now she was going to kill Alexandria. Uh, I don't think she would handle that particularly well. I don't think she handles much particularly well, but she's doing her best. That, I, I don't think anybody can argue with that. Taylor absolutely gives her all to pretty much everything she does. You uh, describe her intensity as that of, like, a bolt of plasma to your face. <laughs> sure, you could describe it like that, which is coincidentally and definitely unrelatedly what Dragon does to Leviathan, our Robocop swoops in and, in some kind of suit here, breathes a stream of plasma in Leviathan, which is, the next sentence is, from his increased struggles and frenetic clawing at her, I gathered he didn't like it. Uh, yeah, Taylor, I don't think he enjoyed plasma being poured on his face. (laughs) I think that's a pretty safe bet. Slime. Still, it was doing surprisingly little damage to him. Taylor's a bit slow on the uptake here. I don't know. Is it slow on the uptake? I, we have so much advantage of of knowledge from later on. Yeah, he doesn't take much damage. I think they 
don't she doesn't really understand what the deal is with Endbringers, how tough exactly they are. So far she's seen a couple people hit him with ranged weapons and not do much damage, and Dragon is a super weapon, so I'm sure she's expecting a bit more, maybe. I just don't know what Taylor's expecting. Legend himself, who is famously more famous than Dragon, uses his full power to leave the Endbringer injured and glowing. Yeah, Plasma's impressive looking, I bet, sure. But at the end of the day, the greatest hero of the age, bar none, because I love him, not leaving too much of a mark means that Little Miss flying human rights violation isn't going to leave much of a mark. Yeah, it's, uh, she, she does her best, except not actually because she can't. And Endbringers are just a little bit above, you know, a robot. And despite her not leaving a mark, that is not mutual. Leviathan just takes a moment to get a grip on Big Sister's armor and is able to pretty easily just start tearing into her. And then she's kind of lost in the shuffle as, uh, as Taylor moves on to trying to help other people, including... Uh, the first person we see here is uh, a woman in a white costume with maybe a skull on her face, but half of her face is missing. Okay, I don't know which chapter of Hero of the Ninth we're in, but all of them? Yeah, definitely one of them, at least. <laughs> she could take Leviathan. Uh... Granted. <laughs> but you know who can't even take the injured too far? Taylor. Taylor still, yeah. I love her. I love her, but... She couldn't lift this woman. She didn't have first aid supplies. She has first aid training, no first aid supplies. Anything she did have, EpiPen smelling salts, were probably spoiled by the water and the septic conditions. Not that they would have helped. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I love that she carries EpiPens. That's such a good idea. Oh, yeah. But also just the juxtaposition of Leviathan drowning Alexandria as best he can of setting a good example for the children with Dragon. And there's Taylor noticing that her smelling salts have gone off. God bless this girl and her band-aid to a knife fight mentality. Uh, yeah, uh, Taylor's just in a different league than what's going on here right now. That changes, but right now. But she's also built different psychologically. Yeah, this woman yeah. is bleeding from the face. She finds a nearby fire Dude. Well, hold on. Asks, okay. She's not bleeding from the face. The part of her face that's still there isn't bleeding. It's the rest of her head where her face is supposed to be. Her face is not what's bleeding. There's no face there anymore. Let's, let's just be clear about what's going on with this lady. I, I really appreciate your horrifying accuracies. Thank you. You're welcome. So Taylor finds a fire boy nearby. She asks the relevant questions immediately. Your fire. Is it radioactive? Is it anything special, extra dangerous? And it isn't. And she says, okay, I need your help. Come here. Drags him to the woman. And then this 15-year-old girl in the apocalypse says, blood loss is a problem. She needs the wound cauterized. The wound, again, being the lack of face on half her face. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. And the guy that she's calling uh, Greenfire, since she doesn't know his name, has a normal, like, person reaction to this which is no thank you i don't want to burn her 
what remains of her face. And Taylor is, of course, insistent. <laughs> he refers to the face as being half, and I hate this term, but half scraped off. Which is accurate, but ugh. And to nope. further to further the ugh, Greenfire does as he's asked and gets a handful of fire and just touches the side of her head where things aren't where they're supposed to be. Oh man, this is a rough scene. So let's lighten it up. After that, um, Taylor says, help me move her. And the next line, Greenfire. I wasn't sure on his name and it didn't seem the time to ask. Taylor's got a confidence here. And she does. Everything she does, she does full-throated. But she doesn't think Greenfire. I didn't know his name. No, no. I wasn't sure on his name. You know, I see Greenfire. His name's quite possibly Greenfire. <laughs> She's not willing to rule out that it isn't Green. That it is Greenfire. Would be a pretty good name. Pretty, pretty good superhero name. Or villain. I guess we don't know. No. Uh, what we do know is that Greenfire is actually making relatable choices. Yeah, he's smart. Uh, he says, "I'll stay here. You keep." Uh, pardon. He says, "I'll stay here. Keep an eye on her. You go." And, you know, I want to believe that he sees Taylor taking charge and making these good decisions and helping people, and that, and he wants her out in the field, not babysitting a burned person. But, I mean, let's be real. The guy with fireballs is definitely just trying to make sure he has nothing to do with the water endbringer. <laughs> the, I don't, I know that this is more a, uh, probably me reading into things, but the fact that he was carrying on a conversation while throwing fireballs and wasn't described as being out of breath or looking angry or I feel as though he was sort of just standing back and throwing a fireball now and again casually because he wanted to you know participate but had no hope of actually doing anything and now has an excuse to not do that anymore I would question why he even bothered showing up but you know Taylor did so right exactly he's doing his best also he throws explosions it's just, it's worth trying to throw those explosions at the Endbringer. Oh, yeah, they try all sorts of strategies. And one of those strategies, the main strategy, Taylor notices it was as though the tougher fighters were staggering their attacks to ensure that just the right amount of force was being exerted to keep Leviathan on his heels, taking the maximum amount of damage while being prevented from taking out too many capes at once. And I, I get it. Apparently, overwhelming force doesn't work. One Indian behemoth fight aside. And not bringing in obscene force means Leviathan just swims all over you. But how frustrating must it be to see Alexandria fly in, saving the day, right? Batting through the wall of water, taking Leviathan down by the neck, wrestling him to the ground, winning for a little while, and then she goes away. Yeah, she was being drowned in between, but let's ignore that part. Then she goes away. Legend flies in. Leviathan tries his best to defend. Legend burns Leviathan, gets him, gets him, and goes away. I, I realize that's the strategy that needs to be done. And the alternative is the Newfoundland strategy, which clearly didn't pay off. But goodness, the toll that must take seeing Salvation come in and then leave. The toll it must take coming in and saving everyone and then leaving. People will die directly because of your absence but your presence would cause people to die also you'd die and then everyone would die it's this yeah is, and f for people who aren't as tactically minded as taylor you know this has to be demoralizing not just in the sense of not doing enough damage but you know if there's 
somebody here who isn't Taylor and sees Legend doing well and then just leave. How demoralizing to watch the Triumvirate just not stay around and fight while you're there risking your life and you can't leave because you're not able to fly or teleport. That's got to be rough. But the nice thing about Worm is it does always have that juxtaposition. There's the horror, and then there's the joy. Yeah, we get a moment where uh, a trio leap in to do some damage to Leviathan. Two strong fellas pull apart one of his wounds, and a third swoops in with a weapon that is described as a battle axe with what looked like a chainsaw set up on each blade. Sometimes the capes in this story just have the wildest possible thing going on with their whole deal, and I absolutely dig it. It is absurd in all of the best ways. There must be quite the business just making custom nonsense for heroes. (laughs) Honestly. Though I wonder how much money heroes have. Is that ever really addressed? It probably depends on the hero, I imagine. I know there's things like action figures and video games, but I imagine most of that money just goes to, you know, the PRT to do their cop stuff. But yeah, I don't know if the heroes themselves, I mean, they, they get paid, but I know tinkers have money, but that's money meant to be used for tinkering. Uh, Kid Wynn talks about that when he's recruiting Chariot later on. But past that, uh, yeah, I don't know. They, they don't strike me as being particularly wealthy, but who knows? WB. Fair. Uh, after this chainsaw battle axe person makes their attempt, uh, Taylor notices that it's simply superficial damage and thinks that surely stripping away his hard exterior would help in the long run. Oh, Taylor. Oh, sweet summer child. If only you knew. (laughs) So as we know from last chapter, even though Taylor wouldn't know this at this point, uh, the Endbringers actually get tougher, harder, stronger, and just generally more physics breaking the deeper you go the outer shell is basically just decoration so chainsaw battle axe person is not doing anything actually and that's true for all damage done to Endbringers. although pretty much no one knows that except tattletale at this point and maybe some of the maybe the triumvirate are vaguely aware of that but it seems as though that's not particularly well known for now you talk about the guy with the battle axe chainsaw which frankly awesome and we have a cape getting cpr from a man with a princess bride style mask over the upper half of his head a goatee a chainmail lined mantle and a shotgun three times the normal size and that's the kind of rpg energy i want to see in (laughs) costuming honestly though and when taylor takes over she is very clear when i move to take over shotgun wesley left without a word she assumes that greenfire could well be Greenfire's name. She knows this is Shotgun Wesley, and she's right. <laughs> it is absolutely Shotgun Wesley, and I mean that's a pretty good name. And he doesn't. He clearly doesn't know how to give CPR. Taylor runs over, takes over, and he goes off without a word back into the fray. Which sure might be polite to say something, but there's bigger stuff going on, and Taylor's irritated at him for leaving somebody he can't help to go back to battle. Well, I guess he probably also can't help, but, you know, in a more meaningful way. Yeah, I I wouldn't guess that shotguns are particularly the ticket with Leviathan. So we, in this little brief moment, we see Hugh down, CD5, and that's Hugh, H-E-W, not Hugh like the first name. Just... Or the color. 
or the color yeah um which we're just mentioning all the names that show up here um and then she goes to help this person uh and we just get you know there's a lot of nasty stuff going on in this chapter but i'm just going to uh to read how taylor describes giving this person uh cpr uh you know if you're a little squeamish with bodily fluids good time to mute for a few seconds the taste of salt water only accented that flavor that flavor being vomit sort of the same way table salt did with a cooked meal oh boy uh, table meals. Just, <laughs> that's just rough that is such a rough way of describing everything going on here strapping lad down cd5 intrepid down cd5 worth mentioning these are two people who help in uh the echidna fight they work alongside they're the two um flyers who work alongside chronicler who's the cape that can make things happen again when they happen once uh so they're using some kind of tinker weapons uh at that point just fun to see characters we see later on speaking of characters we see later on don't we see this narwhal later on too yeah, Narwhal's a great character. She's a lot of fun and also has a frankly terrifying power to create force fields of various sizes and then move them at incredible speeds. Um, and Taylor describes that as like guillotine blades, you know, these horizontally moving daggers of force field that are shooting into the body of the Endbringer and chipping away part of his outs. I'm worried that Taylor maybe hasn't seen a guillotine before. Because I, everything that's being described here is not what I would personally say a guillotine blade is like. Oh, Earthbait's French Revolution was off the charts. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Those force fields are horrifying, though. They chop Leviathan, they slow leviathan at least as he struggles against them and then narwhal sends another force field flying into his neck and it cut as deep as any attack had yet blood spilled down from the open wound thick more like i rebuke prescriptive pronunciation more like icker than anything i was used to seeing and i want to remind you leviathan is winning this fight handily you say he's we know that he's winning this fight handily skipping ahead a bit it doesn't take much lo- much longer before we get from Taylor, and I quote, We're winning, I thought. It's, and, uh, you know, there, there's a couple things before that I do want to talk about, but I, I think this is interesting because the first Endbringer fight, which is obviously what this is, is very special. There's a mix of this absolute terror of the unknown and the knowledge that you're fighting something that's just insurmountable by humans. There's chaos. You have no idea what's going on as a reader. Taylor doesn't have any idea. And yet somehow there's optimism kind of wormed into here. Oh, that was a nice job, me. Nice. <laughs> there's some optimism in here where she doesn't understand exactly how tough and strong and powerful these things are. They do some damage and she's like, yeah, we're doing all right. We're winning. In fact, this is going very well. That, that I don't know, juxtaposition of what we know is going on and what Taylor thinks is going on in this first Endbringer fight is... is uh, pretty pretty fun and horrifying for her. She gets a glimpse of a very important person. Uh, there was a girl with the crossbow who had been with Shadowstalker. She had a teammate next to her, handing her the needle-like bolts from a quiver, was loading them into the large crossbow and firing them as fast as she was able. More than any other attack, the bolts were stabbing deep into Leviathan. Yeah, 
we get a we get the first real glimpse of how powerful Fletch it is. Obviously, we know by the end she's kind of crucial to a lot that happens. Um, she's got one of those Trump powers that's just above anybody else's ability to to really interact with. And here she is, you know, plinking away at Leviathan and actually doing damage. It's just nice to see her. I I really like Fletchit and uh, uh you know, obviously she's great. And uh, you know, it's nice to nice to see her here. She is the only one other than Glastiquenya who could take down Greyboy, so Yeah, there you go. Greyboy should come here. I want to see what his power does to Leviathan. I'm sure there are a lot of people who would like to see that, but there's a cost associated with that, and that's having Greyboy here. Well, currently there's only one person who can access Greyboy, and I think she's voluntarily in the birdcage, actually, so that won't work. Yeah. Though I'm pretty sure she could just leave. Oh, yeah, no doubt. (laughs) So I apologize to the listeners if this gets a bit obscure for you, but have you ever played a video game which involved a boss fight now when you say video game do you mean like a movie uh it's like that but through a series of inputs you can influence the actions oh you're talking about like a one of those plays you go to where they like interact with the audience like a theater production it's similar in fact though it's as though you take the role of one of the actors and are carefully led so you don't deviate disastrously from the script also it's using electronics for everything you can do it alone well i don't really put much stock in electronics so you'll just have to go on with your thoughts assuming i know what you're talking about okay so in a boss fight you often defeat the boss and then you find out that whoa no you didn't this isn't even its final form levi here this isn't even my final forms shielder yells to me there's panic everyone's putting up force fields that can tidal wave as soon as levi starts losing he stops losing yeah he uh and losing here is also a really relative term as soon as the heroes think he starts losing in reality obviously that's not what's going on we get tidal wave it's all sorts of nasty shields are being thrown out barriers are being created shielder waits the last second to save as many people as possible and we still get a person who doesn't make it and who is crushed against Shielder's barrier. And I have to say, that's horrifying and absolutely miserable for everybody there to witness this, but also specifically for Shielder to be utilizing his power to somebody die up against it, which we are going to see again in just a little bit here. But this right here, I just feel bad for the poor kid. You don't have to worry. He will not have to cope with it for long. Oh, boy. So in describing this... uh phenomenon taylor uses the literary art of analogy she says i'd been in an earthquake before and she'd been in an earthquake before at home imagine just think that's curious the northeast of the united states is not a terribly geologically active area more so than like northern minnesota wisconsin sure but less so than even the new madrid faults outer bounds and Missouri, Tucky. Now, that's true for us, but we don't okay. have we don't have behemoth. You're entirely right. I am a fool to think. I'm a fool to think. <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but all right. Oh, then I wouldn't say that because I'm not going to think about it, and I'll agree. Perfect. We see a really good tag team here, though. Oh yeah, this is this is this is the good stuff coming up. 
For one brief moment, they submerge. Leviathan flies over them. Shielder has a hard time holding up. Again, I hope something happens to end his pain. Uh, we get heavy casualties. Please wait. The casualties aren't even being listed at this point. But then, the water surging around is stopped abruptly, evaporated into a mist in a second. Swirling, the mist began drifting. Murden working with Eidolon. They stood in the center of the road, Eidolon turning the water into mist while Murden gathered it. Murden's wooden stick was held aloft, and the mist was forming a sphere the size of a beach ball at one end. What a fun little thing! That's just a, hey, we both could do anything. Let's do a cool thing together. <laughs> what, what friends? The wizard and the end bring a genesis. Spoilers will be commonplace. <laughs> yeah, so Murden is fun because uh, we don't really know what his deal is for a long time until the interlude arc with the Travelers, in fact, um, where we see that his... Actually, I say that. I don't think we actually get his how his powers work until the arc after that when we're actually fighting Echidna, but he basically just has a number of uh, pocket dimensions each with slightly different attributes that he can tap into. So, you know, a place that has low pressure, so it sucks things, and then he can make it so it spits them back out. And he's got a, a pile of effects that he can call on, but he can mix and match them in unique ways that really give him a I'm a wizard casting spells vibe. It's very cool. He's got a very fun power set that he utilizes in a cool way. And that's one thing that's a lot of fun is a lot of these capes do that, where they have a power that you can see how it could be used one way and they use it in a specific way to create a, a vibe. And he does that really well. And like you said, it, it pairs well with Eidolon where they, they're both wizards. They're both like classical fantasy wizards and they do wizard things together. And <laughs> it's great. Um, but I will say... You have to love the wizard stick. You do. However, Taylor needs to show a little respect. Like, he's going through this whole vibe of being a wizard, and she refers to his staff, let's be clear here, as his wooden stick. At worst, call it a wand, maybe? But a wooden stick, Taylor? Come on. Just, he's... Look at all the effort he's put into looking like a wizard, and you're just going to say he's got a stick? You got your wizard stick and your wizard stick. Mm-hmm. And, and mm -hmm. oh, I was just gonna say, and they working together, they create a beach ball-sized sphere of compressed water, highly compressed water, which they, which Murden launches at Leviathan, and it hit harder than anything yet. I assume this means force, not damage, since uh, I think that probably is still, uh, you know, narwhal or maybe legend, but. I Fletchhead. Oh yeah, sorry, Fletchhead. Good call. I do think, or I do wonder if does this hit harder than anything yet because Eidolon had a hand in the attack. I don't know. Did he do his abilities work better than everybody else's because of who he is, or is it just do his abilities work better just because he's actually the strongest, or is it both? No, you fight fire with fire, and you fight water with water. Oh yeah, yeah. You're First right. water attack. I'd buy that as well. Fair enough. Seal him off. Make him come back our way. We get our boy here. He's uh, old. Oh, man. I wonder how Wildbo wants this to be pronounced. He's historically awful when it comes to French. Chevalier? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Is it worth doing that? Maybe I'll, no. just, call him, maybe I'll just call him, like, Chev. 
Dev. Chevy. <laughs> we get we get our 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 guy Chevy, and that's what I'm going to stick with. He's huge later on, super important. He's you know steps into the the new protectorate and all of that. It's nice that he's here. He's calling out orders. He doesn't really do anything else in this fight that's noteworthy at all. But he's here, and I'm just I'm just happy to see him. At least there is a point of light in this dreary, sunken vista. Yeah, the uh, we get we get our girl Vista, who at only what nine years old is stretching and pinching a building to collapse on Leviathan. She's got such a weird power and ends up being incredibly important later on. But for now, she's just you know the girl who makes the ground different shapes. I do love her so much. And we haven't heard about Bastion before, right? Uh, no. So. We did get a glimpse into the world a little bit. Uh, people are fleeing as Leviathan lunches through the side of the building. The force fields reinforcing the walls. Tried to retreat. Stall by force fields. Blah, blah, blah. Tiller sees a figure on the far side. Bastion. The hero who had been in the news over his racist tirade. And like, okay. I realize that neo-Nazis are a big component of this book. Neo-Nazis go die in a fire. But the hero is getting in on it too. Like, I... <sighs> Everything is already terrible. Do you have to be terrible? I mean, the the PRT, well, not the PRT, the Protectorate, remember, basically function as super-powered cops. So, yes, the answer to your question is yes. But despite him being terrible and everything else being terrible, he does, you know, do the whole noble sacrifice thing. Unfortunately, he also has to sacrifice something of Vista's because he's the one who has to pull them out trigger and drop a building on Leviathan and Bash. And I just, we I talked about Shielder having to watch somebody get smushed up against his force field, and I you, I, you just hate to see a little five-year-old have to use her power to murder somebody to slow down a monster. It's just rough. I agree with almost everything, except you have a factual element here in factual. We see the three-year-old kill a guy. But she's also a cop. And murder is a legal category. So it's not going to be. Also, in like even the colloquial sense, it's not going to be murder if oh no, you collateral someone. Like, right. And it would only be that... Especially if, with their exhortation. Right, exactly. It, it would only be that if the people here decided to make it that. And I don't think anybody here is going to leave and then go to the, the PRT and say, Hey, uh, Vista dropped a building on a guy. <laughs> You know, that the capes no, are... this isn't Animorphs. The capes are very intentional about keeping what goes on in Endbringer fights kind of quiet. Uh, that's, a you know, a major plot point later on. It's We're still within the keep everything secret except that Leviathan's super bad. Speaking of him being bad, the next line, or two lines down, the next thing that happens is Leviathan's wave that we just saw. Taylor is sort of looking around and sees... Leviathan had more than halved our ranks with the wave. Does she mean of the people she can see or sense? Or does she mean total? Because holy moly, that one attack took out half of the capes defending? That's absurd casualties. Which is what Legend warned us about. He said one in four. Well, he's an optimist. True. But halved halved the, the number of people, sure, and it takes a little bit for the uh, armband to catch up, and then we get the losses. They start going through the list, which it's a long list, but 
there's a few names in here that are noteworthy, so we'll just go through the whole list here. Losses are as follows. Debaser. Ascendant. Gallant. Of course, we know who Gallant is. The old glory girl, boyfriend, uh, wards guy, emotion powers. Rough to see a loss there. He seemed like a pretty chill guy, so uh-oh. Zigzag. Prince of Blades. Vitiator. Humble. Halo. Whirligig. Knight. Crusader. A couple of very interesting names, like Prince of Blades and Whirligig in there. And also two Nazis, so that's nice at least. Ugly Mug. Victor. Furrow. Barker. Another Nazi in Victor. And then Barker, who is nothing at this point, but uh, a little ways down the line. Obviously, uh, one of uh, Rachel's friends. One of her minions, I think she calls them. Elegance. Quark. Pelter. Snowflake. Ballistic. Mama Bear. Mr. Eminent. Flashbang. Biter. So here we get a few more names. Obviously, Ballistic we know from the Travelers. Uh, We know that he's not dead. Um, We get Biter, another one of Rachel's fellas. But we also get Flashbang. And, you know, it's one casualty among many. We don't really know who this is yet. Surely this one random person among 30 people who are down won't be the source of a major plot point and huge problems for a lot of people down the line because he got knocked out, right? Which plot point is this? Uh, Black thing is Amy's adopted dad and the brain Mm. thing. Mm. Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah. Cloister. Narwhal. Vixen. The Dart. Geomancer. Oaf. Tattletail. Actually, can I stop? I just need to know one of those names. I think it jumped out at us. Oaf is an amazing name, and <laughs> I hope they're alive. I do, too. I, I'm I'm rooting for Oaf. I'm also rooting for the Dart, <laughs> because it does take a special kind of person to put the in their name. Almost no cape does, but this person is the Dart. And good for them. And of also, course, Tattletail might be dead. Also, Tattletail might be dead. <laughs> uh, rough situation there for Taylor. Really stresses her out. Obviously, despite the uh, circumstances that were taking place immediately prior to the sirens going off, Tattletail's still her friend. She still cares about her. Um, but we get uh, another attack by Leviathan, where he throws part of a building. Uh, a mess of broken wood, concrete, and reed bar at the capes. And Aegis threw himself into the cluster of projectiles. Now, Aegis is a weird cape. He's a tank. That's his thing. He's very tough because his body's full of redundancies. So he can do things like be blinded and be okay or get basically treated like a chew, do- a chew toy by Rachel's dogs when they're in their mutant form or fly full speed headfirst into asphalt and just get up and shake himself off. But having an Endbringer throw a chunk of concrete and rebar at you, and he just is fine because we know that he's still going because he goes down later, I really have a hard time pegging exactly how tough this guy is. There's a difference between, I have redundancies, where if you puncture my lungs, I start breathing with my stomach or whatever nonsense, and... Just being able to tank and bring your hits, like what level of damage is required to actually kill this guy? <laughs> he's still 
surely feels the pain of it all and everything because he's just got like he's stronger and tougher than a normal person by a fair bit we do know that but i just feel like this poor guy's entire life is just suffering horrible trauma because he knows that his power will let him live through it not tank it not no sell it like alexandria would but just that yeah i'll live through this so i might as well what a hero that he's willing to just put up with that i i aegis is such an interesting power set to me i just i find him so fascinating poor guy i hope he makes it me too but hope is as dead as brigandine deceased cd5 and taylor can't afford to dwell on what happened to Tattletail. She wipes beads of water from the lenses of her mask with her gloved hands. And at that point, I just realized it's such a blessing for them that Leviathan is only macrohydrokinesis. If imagine Leviathan plus Shatterbird, what you would end up with? You'd end up with everybody dead just instantly. Yeah, that would be that would be rough and kind of defeat the purpose of having Endbringers in the first place if they just insta kill everybody in a city. Uh, Leviathan dashes away after taking a little more damage, uh, you know, throws some water around to knock out some more capes, turns a corner, and then has to dive for cover as Legend, Lady Photon, Laser Dream, and a half dozen other heroes open fire from the skies above. And (laughs) I was reading this and just had a, a moment of, it's some amazing laser power here, some firepower that's just unbelievable scale. And also... New Wave and a half dozen other heroes. There's such a scale difference in the people that are involved in this like firing line that it's just absurd. Like Laser Dream, side note, maybe my favorite cape name in all of Worm. I just it takes some absolute self-confidence to go out in public with the name Laser Dream, and I love it so much. Laser Dream and Lady Photon, they have lasers, but but next to Legend, they're kind of doing nothing. They get to hang out with Legend. And that's all anybody wants. True. So they take care of that. Taylor can't do anything over here. Eidolon comes to help the wounded. Taylor ran after the others, nearly tripping into a pothole in her hurry. Quote, My armband showed a green icon for Leviathan, and I followed it. Okay. Look, <laughs> she knows what she's about. And she's about... Being up close and personal with an endbringer, I guess? Girl. (laughs) Honestly. So, she comes across Miss Militia firing pre-made ammunition. She doesn't just generate her own. Storebot seems to be fine. Storebot's a fun word there. Uh, We see these these, uh, specialized warheads exploding and doing weird effects, and... um, it's it's fun because we get this the first shot exploded into a mess of golden sticky ribbon familiar though it somehow escaped my memory where i'd seen it obviously we know what this is from and it's fair that taylor would forget since she suffered maybe some horrific brain trauma when this was all going on but it's just a flashback to the good old days when the biggest threat that anybody was facing was just the world's best bomb maker like that that that's a that's de-escalating from where we are now is just a a sign of how bad things are. Jotun deceased, CD six. Dauntless deceased, CD six. Alabaster deceased, CD six. Dauntless deceased is such 
a big sad. It's you know so much for our let's keep an eye on Dauntless. Is he gonna when is he gonna surpass the triumvirate? Here he goes, and uh, I I I I like I think Dauntless so neat as I've mentioned. Big sad that he's just gone, but I also really respect that that happens. That you had this hype built up around this guy, and Wildbow was willing to just you know. Killim is sort of an afterthought of one of Leviathan's moves, because that's what an Endbreaker does. Miss Militia down. C. D. 6. Poor Hannah. Thankfully, the Nazis start taking the hits. Fenya and Menya come in, each tall enough to be at Leviathan's 30-foot shoulder level, but Leviathan was quicker. He darted backward, gripped the side of a building, then turned to run up the wall. He used his tail to radically adjust the angle of his ascent, hooking it on an open window and swinging himself forward over the edge of the roof before anyone on the ground could get a beat on him. Debris fell where his tail had pulled through a section of the wall. It's obviously he's destroying pieces here as he's going, but you'd expect so much damage with the fact that he weighs, what did we say, nine tons? He climbs up a building, he jumps around up here, he's whipping his tail through windows. His agility and the whip-like nature of his tail are so absurd. The Endbringer physics are just so whack. And it it really does... land deliberately. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm, I mean. It, it, makes the, it makes them feel so alien, and it really adds to the, I don't know, terror of the fight that these things can... that Well, most of them don't, but the Leviathan can move like this. It, it makes him so freaky. Also, he can just do a standing jump of 100 feet into the air. <laughs> so there is that. He's, he can go from a standstill to jumping three times his height into the air. Yikes, bud. That's... Also, he's, do, he's doing this off of a building. This building is holding his 18,000-pound his weight, and he jumps off of it and still makes it 100 feet in the air. His physics are wild. Legend down. C.D. 6. The big sad. Photon Mom, Laser Dream, and Shielder are all flying, trying to shield themselves from the same attack that saw Legend tumble from the sky. And we find out that they've got the same powers. Photon Mom's well-rounded, Shielder is a shield boy with almost no flight ability and weak laser blasts, and Laser Dream has strong lasers and good flight, but not so much of a force field. What do you think, quote-unquote, almost no flight means? Like a chicken. (laughs) Okay, and to be clear, complete with flapping arms? There is absolutely no textual evidence in this entire piece to say that people aren't flying by flapping. Uh, Now, that's not true, because next chapter, Laser Dream carries Taylor in her arms. But other than two limbs. But other than Laser Dream. No, are you suggesting Laser Dream flaps her legs? It's kind of like... uh, Treading water, treading air. <laughs> oh no! Worm, worm is this gritty, realistic, like superhero fiction where everything is so horrific, and also everybody flies by flailing their limbs. Even the majestic legend and Eidolon. Like, oh no! Oh, no. Legend's fine. Oh, legend. Legend, Eidolon, like- and Glastic Wenye are exempt. Oh yeah, Glastic Wenye definitely. She she hovers majestically. She carries herself through the air majestically. Legend, Legend's got like Superman flight where he just is where he needs to be. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, okay. I'm, I'm glad that's okay. In that case, everybody else, yes, they flail 
one set of limbs. <laughs> I believe Simurg is just like a frozen JPEG being dragged along. No movement. Yep, that's how I picture her as well. I I'm glad that we all we arrived at the same <laughs> the same image. But while people are treading air all around, there are still horror elements. As they do great battle with Leviathan, as Leviathan is taking hits, as Leviathan is dealing hits, Leviathan didn't make noise. I kept expecting a roar or a hiss or something, but Leviathan was dead silent. There's nothing here but splashing and screams of pain and buildings cracking and a silent monstrosity bigger than any creature to have ever lived. Yeah, I, I mean... I, I Other than a space whale. Right. I'm sure you've seen fan art of Leviathan here and there, and they really do a good job. He is a creepy guy. Like, his joints don't exactly line up the way you think, and he he's described as having his head, like, move around almost like a bird's and how it twitches, and the three eyes on one side and one on the other. Complete silence. The He's he's horrifying. Absolutely. Behemoth is strong. Simmer gets smart. But Leviathan gets in your head. Yeah, that's how I... He's the one who gets in your head of the three, definitely. But even Leviathan is not immune to all things. No, yeah. Clock uh, Blocker shows up and freezes him, which is interesting because it's always sort of a toss-up how well a power will affect an Endbringer. Sometimes it just doesn't. Sometimes they're just too strong. Turns out Clock Blocker's power just works fully and as expected. I think we have to assume it works on the shorter end of his range of time frames, but still... It's neat to see that he's just completely effective against an Endbringer. But at great cost, for he finds himself immersed in the water. The frozen water. But he's got, you know, Taylor looking out for him. Uh, she starts calling that he needs to get free. People are who don't know what's going on are shooting arcs of lightning at Leviathan's frozen form. People who have never fought with or against Clockblocker don't understand what's going on. There's all sorts of conflicting ideas. There's chaos. And Taylor laments this fact. And, uh, you know, says the chaos is going to make ruin things and that we needed order and that they needed a person or people to give it to us. And, yeah, Taylor, people do need to work together to beat horrific threats. And they need one person in charge of them all organizing things. You're exactly right. No further comments. Like some kind of queen or at least an administrator. There you go. Uh, to free him, uh, Taylor summons a teleporter who... Turns out to be a trickster who offers some goofs and gaffs and just sort of jokes around in the face of an Endbringer. <laughs> and uh, Taylor considers this and sort of uh, questions his sanity. Yeah, Taylor, Kraus is a mess. You'll figure it. You'll see this going forward. He is an absolute mess. And just be lucky that he's actually helping out here and seems to be not messing anything up, I guess. And then when Clockblocker is free, uh, Cape comes to help. A woman with a costume that outlined her bones, like a really good version of the skeleton costumes you saw on Halloween. I think all doctors, all medical personnel, all medical professionals should have costumes based on their specialty. <laughs> they should be dressed in all black with only their specialty organs lit up. That's excellent, actually. I really like that. It would be a really cool thing. You'd look at someone and be like, hey, look at those kidneys. I know what you study. Or, wow, I only see guts in you. You're a really important doctor, but I don't like your outfit. <laughs> I am fully in support of this plan. But 
despite being in support of that plan, skin doctors will be boring. Dermatologists. They're just it's just a costume that looks like a naked person. I, that's pretty fun, actually. Hmm. I don't know. I think I would respect a doctor. They have who, to shave their head. Right. Oh, you think they don't wear a costume? They just show up naked and use their own skin. No, I'm just saying that having hair on their head obscures part of their skin. Oh, uh, okay. Like it can be pictures, but you have to wear at least a hat with your ball. You have a ball cap. Yeah. Even with the freeze, things aren't going particularly well. Uh, we get an announcement from Armsmaster that uh, they can't stick with Plan A, which is just fending off Leviathan entirely, protecting the city, and instead have to, you know, do their best to delay and hope that Zion gets here, more or less. Because Two or three more minutes of this, and there won't be any of us left. Minute. They are swiftly running out of capes. And this is, again, one of the Endbringer attacks where they had a lot of warning for it. So there were probably a lot of people here. Yeah, but it's like I, it's like Leviathan's preferred territory. If, if this were just, you know, Boulder, Colorado, who cares? Rue, I guess. But given the dire circumstances, they decide to bring everyone together and Ex- give it their best. Except their most powerful single individual cape who is going to leave. Eidolon is going to leave to do what he can to minimize the damage from the waves. Obviously, there's something at play here, and we know what that is, but in the moment, boy, does this feel like a wild choice of a strategy to send away the one person who can kind of go toe-to-toe with an Endbringer who's here. Wait, what else is at play here? What secrets are there? Uh, I have a feeling we're going to have to discuss that, you know, next week oh well next week will come soon and it will of course be as always worm worm and like we like to say more worm that's all the time we have for today folks join us next week on podcast guys talking wild bow as we discuss misdirection secret weapons and a stroll around town stay copathetic Podcast Guys Talking Wild Bow is a fan-made podcast discussing Wild Bow's Worm. Check out the full serial at parahumans.wordpress.com. Intro music for this episode was Start the Engine by Lemon Music Studio. Music for the epigraph was Epic Heroic Cinematic Action by Alex Kizenkov. Thunder was Thunder by Dean Raul de Archangeli. Outro music, which even now is elevating my voice to the realms of the epic is Defenders of the Truth by Daddy S. Music. The music is provided by the generous license of Pixabay.com. Go and support all the artists who make this work possible by writing their stories and sounds free of charge. If you'd like to support this podcast, follow us on Twitter at TheLongPrice. Do you have questions, comments, or contributions? Are you overwhelmed by the urge to correct our errors? Email us at TheLongPrice at gmail.com. If you'd like to materially support our work, find our Patreon at patreon.com pgte. Join the ranks of our patrons and be called by your secret identity, receive personalized stories and art, or even join a PGTE-inspired RPG. We implore you, don't consider joining unless you're already supporting the artists who make this all possible. Special thanks to our patron and liege, always the claimant, 
never the named, as well as the hordes of cattle below. Next week, chapter 22, all according to...